0: know what there is a goodness that we get to partake in and as a goodness we get to pass on the goodness of God doesn't just go towards you it goes through you right yeah. Yeah. We, whatever you receive you can give Jesus said freely you receive now freely give right so there is a free giving that comes from a free receiving and today I hope that you're able to receive from God so you can freely give you know, a lot of us, we spend our whole life um, thinking of what we deserve to receive. And I, the, the thing about the things of God is you deserve none of it. So settle that and then say, I deserve none of it, but he's offered all of it. That's right. And so I am glad to receive it. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said this. He said, it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's got to be your good pleasure to receive the kingdom. It's got to be your good pleasure to partake in the kingdom. Amen. You know, I, I, we had a little extra time this morning. And so I took, Tia was on in her a different vehicle because she's got to leave before I do today. And so I was driving a different vehicle and Moses drove with me. He always drives with mom. But he drove with me because it was Father's Day. So that's, that's a treat, right? You know? And so I had Moses with me, and we had a little bit extra time. So we went and picked up just a drink and, and a little bit of, like, a breakfast thing. And uh, I got him, like, a special drink that normally we wouldn't get him on a Sunday morning. And he says, it's, it's Father's Day. It's No, I shouldn't be getting a treat on Father's Day. And I said, well, the thing about fathers is fathers, aren't, fathers don't really... They don't really want all the attention on themselves. I mean, the father doesn't, uh, father really, uh, I would say a good father doesn't, doesn't just wait for father's day and go, I can't wait to see what I get. (laughs) A good father delights in seeing their kids blessed, delights in seeing their kids enjoy themselves delights in seeing their, their, their spouse happy, delights in seeing all of these, because that's, that's the heart that God put in us. Yeah, you, it's nice to be thanked. It's nice to be celebrated. But as a father, you your, your uh, good pleasure is to see your kids doing better than you did and to see them go further than you could go. And It's fun to say, my kid's smarter than me. Isn't that great? Or, or they're faster than me or whatever. I mean, you, you love to see your kids go further, and that's something God put in your heart. And so, you know, if you think about how much you enjoy seeing your kids blessed, how much you enjoy seeing them thrive and you enjoy seeing them actually uh, realize the fulfillment of what God's put inside them, how much more does our heavenly father delight when his kids receive, delight when his kids say, you know what, I'm going to throw my hands up and just receive everything you've got for me, God, whatever you've got, I want it. Not because I, 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 I checked off all the boxes, but because you did. And so you're worthy. You're worthy to receive all glory and praise. And you're worthy to give whatever you want to give. And and the Bible tells us he has given us all things. He has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. The Bible also says this. It says if God would not spare his only son, how could he not freely give us all things? So if God the Father was not willing to spare his own son, which you got to think about it. Jesus being the son of God is a little bit different. Than, than the way you and I think about fathers and sons, because Jesus wasn't a kid God had. You know what I mean, right? right. God didn't God didn't get married, have a kid, have little Jesus running around till he grew up in heaven. That's not how it goes. The son has always existed with the father. The spirits always existed with the father and the son. They've been since before time began. Creation was created through him. The Bible says that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God right? right and so when we think of Jesus as the son of God we're not thinking God had a kid we're, we're saying that, that, that Jesus is as is, is much part of God as the father is as the spirit is right. and so really though they're not they're not interchangeable the father doesn't become the son and the son doesn't become the spirit the son is always the son the father is always the father and the spirit's always the spirit right, right. and yet all, of, all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that makes God, right? Yeah. And if Jesus is God, and the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so when you think of the Son, God gave himself, God gave part of himself for us. Right. And if he would do that, the Bible says, if he would do that, if he would die in our place, if he would not spare even his own Son, how would he not freely give us all things? Right. Because whatever you're asking for, you're not asking for what Jesus already did. Whatever you think is too much, it's not more than that. He gave everything. That's right. So I pray that we would receive it. I, this, this morning, I want to talk to you. We've been talking about the fact that Jesus is Lord, and, and we've been kind of zooming in and zooming out. When you zoom out to the fact that Jesus is Lord, there's this huge cosmic reality, this major uh, um, event that has changed the universe, which is described in Philippians chapter 2, when Jesus emptied himself of everything that he could have taken advantage of as God. He emptied himself, became a person like us, became, took on the form of a bondservant or a slave, the Bible says. And he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Thank God, the Bible says, because of this, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name... Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we talk about the fact that Jesus died and rose again, everything changed. The universe changed. Everything in our life is different because of the resurrection, because of the cross and the resurrection. And the Bible tells us he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He holds the keys. Every power, every force, everything that's got a name is under his feet, is under his dominion. And we know that someday there'll be a day when every knee will bow. Right now, the world is still in a form of rebellion. And that's why things are still broken. But he'll make all things right. And so when we zoom out and say Jesus is Lord, there's this big, like, the universe changed. Everything changed. When Jesus died and rose again, when he ascended to the Father, when he sent his spirit, everything changed. But when we zoom in, we ask the question, what does it look like for Jesus to be Lord of my life? See, I know he's Lord over all. I know he's Lord over the planet. I know he's Lord over every power that could be named. I know he's Lord. He's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. But is he Lord in my life? He certainly has the right to be Lord. Whether you're surrendered to him as Lord. You know what I mean, or whether you're saying and you're you're in rebellion and going, well, you're not. Nobody's the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. That's a different matter. And so today, I'll, I like just to zoom in just a little bit on that fact that Jesus is Lord over my life. And so as we zoom into that, I, I want to talk to you about something because I I think this is something that's missed often in modern Christianity: the idea of serving Jesus as Lord, serving God, the the idea that I'm here to serve him, that that I exist for his glory, but to do that from a place of sonship, to do that from a place of saying I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the king, to to say I'm serving him not as a slave but as a child of God. What does that look like, right? We're not an employee of God. You're not just his worker. The Bible does say we are his workers. We are his co-workers. But it's different because we are co-workers with him, the Bible says, co-laborers with him. And we are working for him, not not as a a, a servant or a slave that's never going to see anything from it. But we are working for him as a son, as a daughter that has entered the family business. That says there's there's an ownership here. There's something important here. So I want to read you something in the book of Hebrews. Turn there for a minute. And um, I'm just going to read a quick passage here, and then we're going to jump uh, into the Gospels. Hebrews, God, God is comparing, in fact, the entire book of Hebrews is comparing one thing to another. So it's comparing the old and the new. It's comparing the imperfect and the perfect. It says, you know, we had good high priests in the old covenant, but they were imperfect. They died. They had their own sin to deal with. Jesus is the perfect high priest. It talks about, you know, the old covenant was a good covenant. God cared for his people. He he led his people. He was with his people. But we have a new and better covenant. So here we're seeing the the, um, comparison between Moses and Jesus. And he talks about Moses being a caretaker of the house of God. Moses being somebody that God said, you know, you are uh, uh, to be faithful in this. In Hebrews chapter 3. Just look it up in my Bible rather than this iPad here. But Hebrews 3 speaks of of, of Moses' place and Jesus' place because you have to understand he's talking to Hebrew people. So when he talks about Moses, he's not just talking about Moses while he was alive. He's really talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the old covenant that we were under and the faithfulness of Moses while he was alive. But, But look at this. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters too, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus means choose to think about Jesus. Put your eyes on him. The apostle and the high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So when we talk about God's house, we're not talking about just God's building, right? Right. A house to us is is, is a... edifice a building something we take shelter in but when we talk about the house of God we're not just we're not talking just about a building we're talking about a family a household so you know when you'd say um, you know may you and your house be blessed you're not saying like hey can can the walls be blessed can the roof be blessed can the bathroom be blessed when you you're saying may your house be blessed you're talking about you and your family that's right right so when Moses was faithful over the house of God. We're not just talking about the tabernacle. We're not just talking about a building. We're talking about God's family, God's people, because one thing that God wants is family. Family comes from him, right? You know, today is Father's Day. We're celebrating fathers, but we're really above that celebrating fatherhood. I had a conversation with one of my fathers in the faith who said, you know, Father's Day is a funny thing because, you know, fathers typically don't really want to be too, too celebrated. You know, you kind of want, you put the spotlight on somebody else. And I said, you know, for me, um, Father's Day, yeah, maybe we could be cynical and say it's just greeting card companies pushing this whole thing. But I think it's a good thing because I think, you know, if you think about why does God want to be praised? Is God so insecure? He's like, please say something nice about me. I'm having a hard time. Today's been rough. Can you tell me I'm good? Oh, thank you. I'm good. He knows who he is, right? Your praise doesn't change God's self-esteem. God knows exactly who he is. He is perfectly confident in himself. And yet it's good for us to praise, not because God needs it, but we need it. When we praise God, not only does, does everything come into its proper order, right? Everything comes into the, the, the place it's supposed to be. He's supposed to be up on top. But you think about it. God is goodness. Everything good comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. There's nothing good that exists that's not him, right? So it doesn't just mean he doesn't just have love. He is love. He doesn't just have goodness. Goodness is him. Like, so everything good emanates from him. And that's why hell is such a terrible place. Not because, uh, we, we, not because it's constructed to be terrible. But because in, in its nature, if God is absent, that's the worst thing you could have. And that's why heaven is amazing. Like I said before, it's not because there's a snow cone machine. It's not because there's roller coasters. It's because of the presence of God. And God's will is always done. And when God's will is always done, everything's perfect. So if you think about it, the reason we praise God, when we're praising God, we are glorifying God and everything he is. We're lifting goodness up. We're lifting love up. We're lifting all these things. And when you glorify and praise God, those good things become the highest things in your life because he's the highest thing in your life. Broken things become mended Things out of order become back in order. And if you think about it, what, what's so special about Father's Day? Do fathers need a pat on the back? Absolutely. Do they need a hug? Yes. they need that little card you drew that says, Dad, you're a good dad? You know what? We hang on to those for a year sometimes. It's not the best artwork we've ever seen. It's not like, man, I look at this and I feel like, wow, I'm transported to Banff. No offense. But it, it brings you joy. Right, you need that. I think that's good, but I think even above that, we're in a culture where family is not looked upon in the same way. Family is not a big deal. It's 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 not it's not elevated the way it once was, and the way maybe the way it should have been. Where if you want to destroy a civilization, destroy a family. You want to heal a civilization, heal a family. In order to heal a family, you got to have fathers and mothers that are healed. That's right. Because if we are broken, we lead from a broken place. Yes. And maybe Father's Day is special, not just because your dad deserves a pat on the back. I'm sure he does. But maybe it's even more special because we're not just honoring fathers. We're honoring the idea of fatherhood itself, yes. which comes from God. Yes. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3 says that, All it says, it talks about God the Father from whom every family derives its name. One translator says it this way, from whom emanates all fatherhood. The very idea of fatherly love comes from him. Everything that fatherhood is comes from him. Mothers and fathers alike, when we look to how to be a good parent, we have to look no further than looking at God. Everything about family came from him. He's a God of family, right? So these are the, this is the language he, he tells us. Jesus always prayed. If you look at every prayer that Jesus prays, he says, Father. And when he's taught us how to pray, how did he tell us? Our Father. He doesn't just say, pray to my dad. Pray to my father. He says, pray our Father. That's the first thing. When you start with the idea of God as Father, that is starting on the right track. And so if we pray, Father, how many of you pray and you you start your prayer like, Father, when you pray, that's good. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray to the Father in his name. And he said, whatever you ask of the Father, it'll be done for you if it's done in my name. So, all right, so this is how I'm supposed to pray. Then, Then if that's how we're supposed to pray, that's how we're supposed to live. And I want to go back to this Hebrews 3, and we'll keep reading. But watch how it says that, that, that Moses was faithful over the house of God. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So here we are talking about the building, but he's also not just built the house, the, the edifice. He's built the family of God. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were being spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are of his, we are his house, sorry. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So Moses was faithful. But Moses was faithful like an employee is faithful. Moses said, I know I should do this. He's God. I serve God. It's my joy to do this. Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son. That's different, isn't it? Right. You watch how Jesus lived. Jesus didn't just say this. He didn't say, well, I'm going to do this or else. If I don't do what, the, if I don't do what God says, I'm afraid he's going to strike me down. Or he didn't say, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I've got to serve him. I don't want to face him on that day and, 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 and not hear a well done. No, Jesus always talked about the reason I do what I do is because I know my father is with me. And I know he's pleased with me. And I don't do anything unless I see him do it. And I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. He said in his arguments with those that were pushing against him and were trying to claim that he was demonic or that he was he was of, of, a, of a cult. He responded back to them and said, you know, I know who my father is. I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. He said, my father is always pleased with me, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He said, I know my father is always with me. He knew he was loved by the father. And everything he did started from that place. Before Jesus started his ministry. I mean, God. Can can we just think back to when his ministry began? The beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. Now, he lived a good life up to that point. But the Bible tells us the beginning of his ministry began with his baptism. And when he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came and remained on him. And everything he did, he did with the Holy Spirit. Right? But when the Holy Spirit came, something else happened. A voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did any miracles, before he died on the cross, before he taught anything, before he preached any great sermons, before he did anything for God. Now, he had served God all his life from the time he could he could. He could think as a child to the time where he was able. He, he, was, he was perfect, right? He was sinless. He loved the Lord. He served in the tabernacle. But, but I want you to see, before he did anything of those Messiah things that we we're looking for, God says, I love him, and I'm pleased with him. Now, we hear that about Jesus, and we go, that's right. Jesus is perfect. But do you believe that God says over you, you are my beloved, and you please me? Okay, so all right, we can accept that he loves us, because we've been seeing that. The Bible tells us so, <laughs> right? We know that. Whether we know it, know it, is a different question, but we'll at least say it. I remember being in a Bible study, we, we, were, we were meeting... Um, on the the uh, the new part of the reserve of Makwasa Gaigan, and we were in someone's house having a Bible study. And we were reading through the Book of Psalms, and we were reading about how uh, David was talking about how you know the Lord delighted in him. And in fact, the Psalms and Proverbs, you'll see it from time to time. This idea of, and you see it in the book of Hebrews as well, you see it in James, but this idea that if God loves you, he'll correct you. If he loves you, he'll discipline you. If he delights in you, and so in fact, he talks about this moment where he talks about correction and he says, because he delights in me. And we went around the circle and we said, how many of you think that God really just delights in you, that he just, I'm not talking about love, I'm talking about he likes you, you're pleasing to him, he's pleased with you. Everybody just kind of kept their hands by their side, looking at the first one to raise their hand. Like it was like it was a Mexican standoff. I don't know. I don't have to ask is whether Mexicans actually have standoffs like this. No, not anymore. All right, cool. But we're all looking around. Who's going to raise their hand? Who's going to be that person that goes, I think God's pleased with me? Right? Because we think that's an arrogant thing to say. But my goodness, if you're not not living from that place of pleasing God, what are we doing? That's the way we were taught to live. That's the way Jesus taught us to live. So we go, well, aren't all our righteousness, aren't all our good works like filthy rags? Well, when that scripture is said, all of your righteousness is like filthy rags, he's talking about your self-righteous works. When you think that's what gets God's pleasure, all the things I did for him, I earned my right. He said, that's like filthy rags to me. But when you're a believer that's been born again, born of the Spirit, and God's Spirit lives inside you, the fruit that comes from that life, we call it the fruit of the Spirit, the good things that come from that life are not filthy. They're good because they came from God. They came through you, but they came from Him, through Him, through you. And so you go if you if you're walking around going nothing I do pleases God it's just by I'm a worthless rotten sinner I'm a worm I'm stupid but you know thank God the grace of God saved me you you got to get a revelation of what the Bible says of what Jesus says what God says about you because that's not a New Testament reality that's right, that's right. it's good for you to know you couldn't earn your way it's good for you to know uh, on my own I I'm not, I couldn't do any of this without Him I can do nothing. Yeah. But now your reality has got to be in Christ. In Christ, this is what I do. In Christ, this is who I am. Because you're not outside of Christ anymore. Now you are in Him. And so what's coming out of your life is good. And I want to tell you, the Bible tells us that through Christ, all of our sacrifices have become pleasing to God. Like they smell good to Him. He likes them. He likes you. You know, some of us are so sure that God loves us. Does he like me? Does is he pleased with me? You all think about those times where you go, I love my kids. I'm not pleased with them right now. <laughs> not pleased with them right now. I understand that. And the Bible says we should we should try. It says we should learn what is pleasing to God. Not everything I do is pleasing to God. So you know I can if I go and I I just find someone I don't like on the street and I punch him in the face. God doesn't say you're so cute when you do that. I just like everything you do. The way you punch that guy, brilliant. Oh, that's, He doesn't like that, right? That's not pleasing to him. But am I pleasing to him? And if I'm pleasing to him because of what Jesus did for me, then I'm going to do the things that are pleasing to God from that place of being pleasing to God. So can you imagine God saying over you, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I want to read you something from Luke chapter 15. Many of you know the story of the prodigal son. There's actually three stories that go together in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. What's the common theme there, guys? Something's lost. The other thing that's common is when you read all three of them, there's a phrase at the end of all three. Rejoice with me. Do you remember who Jesus was talking to when he told these parables? He wasn't talking to his disciples. He wasn't talking to the sinners. He was talking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were sinners. They just were fancy sinners. They were dressed-up sinners. They were sinners doing acceptable sins. Which is just as dirty but to God, but not to us. And so they were upset that Jesus was being a little too nice to the people doing the obvious sins. You know, we, we become arrogant about the things we're not tempted with, right? Yeah. So if you've, never, if you've never done drugs in your life, it'd be very easy for you to be arrogant about somebody that struggles with addiction because you've never dealt with it. So you think, well, psh, I would never do that. Well, what is it that you are wrestling with what is it that you've had to overcome that maybe wasn't so easy for you to overcome and that you needed the grace of God to help you overcome, the mercy of God to help you overcome? And understand, you talk differently about that because you know what it's like. So arrogance is never welcome. You know, that's never something that's going to help anybody. That humility of saying, we need, we need Jesus. We need his grace. We need his blood. And so the Pharisees, uh, they, they didn't understand how much mercy they needed. But they understood that these, these obvious sinners were doing things that were obviously wrong. And so when Jesus would eat with them, you know, and you remember, you've read the stories. When Jesus ate with them, he didn't say, I just love what you're doing when you go out and sin. I wish I could go with you. I can't. I'm the son of God, but I would if I could. He doesn't condone any of that behavior, but he embraces them. And when he embraces them, they're changed by it. Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'll pay back multiple times what I've stolen. I mean, Zacchaeus was not empowered to sin more. He was empowered to overcome sin by being with Jesus. It changed him. That woman who was about to be stoned, it changed her. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's this being with Jesus changes us. And, you know, it didn't change everybody. Some people walked away saying, "I, I refuse that. But, you know, Jesus didn't stop eating with people, being around people, loving people. And the Pharisees were quite upset. And here's what it says in, in, in Luke 15. It says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. <coughs> and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is, a, this is a crazy thing. They're drawing near to hear him. Like, these are people that, you know, and I get it why the scribes and Pharisees are a bit offended because they've been trying to teach these people for how long? And nobody wants to come to their sermons. <laughs> Now the people that never showed up at church are flooding to Jesus, and they're going, that that, that makes sense that they'd come to him, right? This man receives sinners. He eats with them, and they're offended. And Jesus tells three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep, and he says that the shepherd would go away, and he'd leave 99 just to find the one. And then, when he found the one that was lost, he comes back and he says, He tells all his neighbors, Rejoice with me. The the one that was lost was found. So the Pharisees are supposed to hear that and go, We should rejoice that lost people are being found. Mm -hmm. And then he says, There was a woman who lost this very valuable coin. And there's a lot that goes into why that coin was so valuable. But he says, She lost this coin. And when she looked for it and looked for it and looked for it, she couldn't find it. And then she finally found it. And she called all her friends and said, Come over. I found what I lost. What I've lost has been found, so rejoice with me. And her friends come over and rejoice. Then in the story of the prodigal son, we see a son who, uh, we see two sons, and they're both working in the family business. And the, the youngest son, he says, well, Dad, I, I, I feel like I'm cramped here. I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't get to live my life, so I want you to give me my inheritance early, and I'm going to leave. The father does. He gives him his inheritance he says he goes off to a distant land. A lot of the Jewish scholars believe that the land Jesus was referring to was the region across the sea. That later, Jesus went and delivered a demoniac in, in the Decapolis region. But an area where there were Jewish people there, but they'd all compromised. They'd all taken in Greek culture. They'd all kind of mixed their ways. And so it says the young man goes and he, he wastes all his money on loose living. And he just does things he shouldn't do. Until he's broke and he's working a job. I mean, there's a good Jewish boy, not maybe not a good one, but a Jewish boy that's working in a pig farm. That must be ultra insulting. And he gets to the place where he looks at the pigs and he's jealous because they're eating better than he is. He wishes he could eat their food. And he says, uh, the Bible says he came to his senses. And that's just an amazing phrase. He came to his senses. And he said, I have to go home, but what I've done is so bad that I can't go to my father's house and just accept to be his son again, expect that. But you know what? Even his workers, even his employees, even his servants eat better than I eat right now. They're treated better than I'm being treated right now. So I'm just going to go back and I'll say, Father, I know I can't be your son, but can I at least just work for you? Can I, can, I, can I just work in your house? Can I just be a servant? And the Bible tells us that the father met him far away from the house. We've talked about this, how in their culture, the further away you went from your house to meet somebody, the more honor you gave them. If you didn't care who it was, you'd let them come to your door. But if it was an important person, you'd go out and you'd meet them on the road. And the further you were willing to go out, the more important they were. And the father is waiting out on the road. Doesn't make his kid come to him. He runs to his kid, embraces him. As stinky as he is, as dirty as he is. And his kid starts to tell the, the, he starts to recite the speech that he's got prepared. And he says, father, I know that. And his father stops him, tells his workers, go get this, get this boy clean clothes, put a ring on his finger, which you don't put a that ring is what you'd go to do business with. That ring was like, this is my father's ring. That's like the company credit card. This means you have authority. I would have given the kid probation, right? You don't get the ring for a while. Right? I saw your bank balance. It's, zero, it's minus 500. You don't get to have this ring yet. Yet the father gave him a ring. Put clean clothes on him. Put, put all this on him. And then he says, go kill the fatted calf, the one we've been saving up. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast for my son was dead. Now he's alive. He's lost, but now he's found. I don't want to pick up at the second half of this story. In Luke 15, 25, and the older son was in the field. As he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. The servant said to him, your brother's come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. No good response comes from starting with look. <laughs> or listen. Look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, now watch the language. Not when my brother, this son of yours. He's not my brother, he's your son. When this son of yours came, this whole time you've done nothing for me, but this son of yours came who is devoured your property with prostitutes you killed a fat calf for him and he said his father said to him son you were always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and he's alive and he was lost and is found watch the difference in language first of all the father comes out and entreats the son father's looking around going somebody's missing and he comes and he says, come on in. Let's come, come, come celebrate with us. But the brother is angry. And watch his language with his father. All these years I've worked for you. You didn't give me anything. So his relationship with his dad is all about all the things I've done for you. I deserve something. That kid doesn't deserve anything. I deserve something. And this is the broken nature of man-made religion and self-righteousness. Remember, most of the time when we read the story of the prodigal son, we read it from the place of the father or we read it from the place of the prodigal, but this parable was told to the older brother. The older brother is the point of this whole parable because he's talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to the dad. He's not talking to the the son that went away. He's talking about the son that went away, but the Pharisees are mad because the sinners... Are coming to Jesus. The older brother is mad because the younger brother is getting a party. So, the whole point, the parable of the prodigal son is really the parable of the older brother. Now, it's good that we see it from the perspective of God. It's good that we see it from the perspective of maybe you saying, I was the prodigal son that deserved nothing and I came to my father and he received me. You should see it from all those angles. Those are all good. But let's not forget, Jesus is talking to older brothers. He's talking to those that feel they're too good for this. And watch, watch their attitude. First of all, watch how the father talks to his son. He goes, son. He starts his sentence with son. He centers it back on relationship. Watch how the, watch how the son talks to his father. Look. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say dad. Doesn't say brother. This is a business relationship. We Christians have to guard our heart. From the deadness of man-made religion and self-righteousness. Where we say, look, I read the books. I did the steps. I've done this. I've done that. How come you're not blessing me? I've done all I should do. And you begin to think that God's blessing is because you've done the right things. Rather than God's blessing is because he's good. Yeah. And you begin to say, I deserve this. Why are they, why are they kidding getting I mean, they just got saved. Why are they getting this? Why am I not getting this? Why are they being elevated? Why am I not being elevated? Why is the Lord blessing their business? And why is my business faltering? And we have this attitude. I've done all the things. And we relate to God like an employee to an employer rather than a son or a daughter to their father. And what does the father say? Father doesn't say, Well, you do good work, but you could work on these areas. No, the father says, Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have was already yours. And when you, you hear that revelation, everything I have is already yours. You just had to ask. Look, look at the older brother. When, when he says what he wants to do, Right. The younger son is getting to party with his dad, the older brothers in the field. And when he when he tells his dream, his dream is that he gets a party with a goat or a cow or something. And he goes, here's my dream that I could party with my friends. Notice dad's not invited to his party. Me and my buddies are going to do our own thing. That relationship is so broken. That he doesn't realize how broken it is. He thinks the only way he could break it is if he went off and did the obvious sin like his younger brother did. But he's, 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 he's entered into an even worse sin which is the sin of the hardness of heart and unbelief that now says I, everything I get from you I've earned. You owe me this. How many times have we inwardly thought that to God? You owe me. That when we say Jesus is Lord, we think that somehow our relationship with God is because I'm doing all the right work, I've made this relationship right. I've made it right because I did the right things rather than Jesus made it right through the blood of his cross. And now because Jesus made me right. So when we say you made me right, I'm right with you. What are we talking about? Righteousness. Jesus made us righteous, because Jesus made me righteous. I could have done all the right things I knew how to do, and I still wouldn't have been righteous, but Jesus made me righteous. Now, I should and can live righteously, right? Because an alive person can be alive. Dead person can't pretend they're alive. Dead person can't act alive, but a living person can. Your dog can can, can do all the tricks where they walk on their hind legs and act human, but nobody goes, is that actually a human? My mom taught our dog, the, uh, the family dog, the trick, uh, praise the Lord. So Bubba, which was our family dog, because my parents are from the south, <laughs> Bubba, would, Bubba would stand on his hind legs, and put his paws in the air and jump up and down, and, and she'd say, praise the Lord, Bubba, and Bubba would do that. Nobody walked in the house and goes, your son grew hair. That's a short human you have there. <laughs> Nobody's fooled by that. A dog can sort of try to do their best impersonation, uh, impression of a, of a human, but no, they're not fooling anybody. And it's like before you came to Jesus, you could do your best impression of a righteous person, but you never really could do it. Now, because you've been born again, now you are a new creation. Now you were not righteous, but now you are righteous. Now you can live righteously. Now if we start from the place of I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And we live out of that place. Rather than viewing God, our relationship with God as boss and worker. We're still working for God. Yes. We've got a job to do. Yes. We've got a field to work in. Yes. We've got a family business to work in. Yes. But we're working there as the kids. The kids that have been given an inheritance in this business, in this kingdom. Kids that have a stake in what happens. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I'm not calling you servants or slaves anymore. I call you friends. And he tells you this. He says, this is the difference. A slave doesn't know what his master is doing. And he begins to tell them how he's revealing things to them. The Holy Spirit's going to show them all things. He could disclose all things. You think about it. This idea that, well, you never know what God's doing. You never know what he's up to. Yeah, his ways are higher. He's much more complex than you. And yet, he wants to reveal things to you, right? First Corinthians 2 talks about that. God wants to reveal these things to you, that you may know what belongs to you. So God says, you're not my workers anymore that don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing or what I'm doing. You're the kids that can come bug me while I'm in the library. Interrupt me and say, Dad, why are we doing this? What are we doing? And he doesn't go, leave me alone. I'm trying to read. But he goes, welcome. Come in. Let's talk. We're we're part of his family now. And it changes how we serve. Jesus served with joy. Jesus said, I love to do the things. He says, in fact, he says in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of God and accomplish his work. The will of the Father, he says, and accomplish his work. Like my food, the thing that makes me feel good the things that gives me life the thing that satisfies me is to do the will of my father because Jesus was not serving as a servant he was serving as a son and there's a difference there guys there's a difference there when you serve this way. There's a difference when you say, I, I I, am not just working for God and viewing God in this transactional way. If I give this, you'll give this. If I do this, you'll do this. But I'm saying, Lord, I am, it's my pleasure to serve you. I, I love Eric Liddell's quote. I've quoted you this many times, but Eric Liddell, who was a missionary to China, but also one of the fastest men in the world when he was alive, uh, it ran for the, for the, uh, uh For the UK, for Britain, in the Olympics and won. And he said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Mm -hmm. When I do what I'm created to do, I feel the pleasure of God. And that changes how we work for God, right? Because we're not working as workers, employees. We're working as sons and daughters who have an inheritance. Who know why we're doing what we're doing. Who have a relationship with God. Who can say, Father, I need help. Who are not working to please God, but working from, we are working to please God, but we're not working in order that we might be pleasing to God. We are already pleasing to God. So now we want to do the things that are pleasing to God. I just want to wrap it up with a couple more thoughts. I was was in a group of pastors. We were sitting down reading the Bible together. And we were talking about God being father. You know, God could have picked a lot of things to call himself. Why did he pick father? Because for a lot of people that, you know, you think about it, a lot of people, that name's got a lot of baggage to it. We've talked about this before. I've preached in places where the moment you say God is father, everybody kind of like clenches up. Because they didn't have good relationships with their dad. So it's complicated. It's complicated. And what we could do is we could avoid saying Father God, and we could pick another word, but you know what I think? I think God picked that word on purpose. Mm -hmm. Not just because it's a word, but because it's who he is. Mm -hmm. All fatherhood, all parenthood comes from him. But also because when you begin to understand God as Father, rather than avoiding that word, if you had a really rough relationship with your dad, or maybe no relationship at all, and you say, I'd rather not think of God as Father because that's painful for me. I would encourage you to embrace that because it's in, in embracing Him as Father, it's, it's not going to be that your relationship with God is wrecked because you had a bad relationship with your dad. It's that you're, those places in your soul, you don't realize, I mean some of you do, a lot of us don't realize how shaped we are by how we were raised. Yeah. Yeah. How it shapes things we don't even know. where why we do what we do or why we say what we say or why we think the way we think and it's not some you know overpaid shrink that made up well let's think about how you were raised there's truth in that not all shrinks are overpaid some some earn their money quite well but it's not just a it's not a worldly idea it's true a lot of a lot of the way we are starts with how we were raised the things i mean a lot of our, the way we talk starts with The words that were said to us in the first three years of our life. Some of us go, some of you go, well, I'm hopelessly messed up. But I want to tell you that when you begin to understand God as your father, he doesn't avoid that. He, in fact, goes straight to that. And that thread that you begin to tug on, that thread of God as the father in your life will go to the deepest place in your soul. Maybe it's the deepest place that's the most damaged. Maybe it's a place that's very healthy. But God as Father is going to go to that very place that, that was shaped at a very young age, and he's going to be able to heal those places. He's going to be able to reform those places. And he's going to replace what your dad couldn't be or wouldn't be with who he is. And your mom, too. And God begins to heal that place in your heart that's been wounded. Because he is a good father. And so rather than avoiding that saying, well, I'm not going to use Father God. I'm not going to think of him that way because I don't like that relationship. Embrace it and say, my, my idea of father is, whole, is very, very broken. So God, I need you to reform what a father is in me. Fathers, happy Father's Day. I want to tell you something. In order to be a good father, you first have to learn how to be a good son. When you understand how to be a son, you'll understand how to be a father. Some of us, some of you just might say, I didn't have a chance to be a good son. I didn't have that relationship with my dad. This is the good news, is that God is what we could never be. The Bible says he's the father to the fatherless. He's the husband to the widow. He brings the single and the lonely into families. God is a God of family. So we're in this group of pastors and we're studying the word of God. And one of our pastors bravely began to talk about the fact that when he was a young man, and he, we all kind of identified with this uh, on some level, but he said when he would work with his dad on, on cars, his, his dad taught him how to work on the cars, but his dad knew a lot of things he didn't know. And sometimes as dads, we don't know what our kids don't know. So his dad would say, go, go grab this tool. And how many of you remember that moment of panic when your dad would say that? <laughs> I remember that. I remember standing around for 15 minutes, 20 minutes while dad needed something. I'm waiting for me to be useful. But he wanted to be with me, so he wants me to, you know. But I remember, you know, standing. you're standing in my light. Sorry, I never, I'm always in the light. I don't. Go, give me, go give me a 5-8s tool. Oh, a 5-8s You know, and you're just guessing at stuff, right? <laughs> What's a crescent wrench? I don't know what a crescent wrench is. You're, 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 you you know, and he, he, my, 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 my fellow pastor talked about this panic, this fear, because his dad was very short-tempered. And so if he got the wrong thing, his dad would yell at him. Wasn't physically abusive, but was very verbal. So he was just terrified to get the wrong thing. And he said, it's taken me all these years to realize. I took my relationship with my dad, and I applied it to God. He said, I'm terrified of doing the wrong thing. So I'd rather do nothing and not do the wrong thing than take a risk and say, you know what, Lord, if I'm doing the wrong thing, you'll fix it. Yeah. He said, I spent most of my life being terrified as God of God because I was terrified of my dad. Everybody in the room, you know, I had a real good dad. My dad was a good father. He said to me, my dad wasn't a great dad to me. I I didn't have a good relationship with my father, so I don't really know how, Jonathan, I don't really know how to be a dad. and I've told you guys this before. He said, I don't really know how to be a dad, but God's teaching me, so I'm doing my best. That's all you can do, but everybody in the circle, all of us men at least, we all identified with it. I I know that feeling of just being terrified of doing the wrong thing, putting that on God, and when you see the Wicked and deceitful serv the sluggish servant in the parable of the talents, he's the one who says, I was afraid of you. I knew you were really good. I didn't want to do the wrong thing, so I buried what you gave me. And Jesus says, that's the one guy that gets rebuked. The other two took a risk. And when you know that you're safe in that relationship, you know that God has, has, put you on this planet for a reason, you know you are reborn in Christ, you know you are filled with his Holy Spirit, then there's a bravery that comes. In fact, the Bible says, because of Jesus, because of what he did, we boldly enter the throne of God. We boldly ask for what we need. There's a boldness that comes from righteousness. Not self-righteousness, but the righteousness of the blood of Jesus. The son comes in the library and says, Dad. The son walks into the garage and says, Dad, I need your help. The, employer says, the employee says, I don't know if I want to bug him. How many of us have an employee relationship with God? So when we say Jesus is Lord, Lord, you're Lord of all. When we, when we say, Father, I've given my life to you. Are we serving God as a slave or are we serving God as a son? And I want to tell you, every writer of the New Testament letters, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, every one, of James, every one of them calls himself a bondservant, a slave of God. But they all talking about being a son. And in fact, Paul says, so they serve as a worker for God. They say, my life is yours. Everything I do is for you. But Paul says, we have a spirit, not of slavery, that leads to fear. But we have a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. It's a spirit of adoption that says, Papa. Cries out, Papa. Cries out, Abba. Cries out, Dad. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is teaching you how to relate to your father. So older brothers that say, I've done all the right things. Why don't you do that for me? Maybe you've been believing God to be healed. So you bought all the books and you tried all the things. It's good to get good books. It's good to learn things. But if your idea of why God should heal you is you did all the right things, you checked all the boxes, you're missing the major component, Mm -hmm. which is that's who he is. Peter said, quit looking at us as if it's by our own holiness, our own piety, right. our own religion that healed this man. Mm-hmm. This man stands before you well today because of the name of Jesus. That's right. That's right. Peter doesn't say we, we have been working on our healing. We've been working on our stand up and walks. We, we've, we've fasted for a thousand days. I uh, don't know why we're still alive, but we did it. We, we completed the healing course. We have our certificates. If you want to see them, here's our certificate of healing. No, he just says, it's not because we did the, the right things. It's because Jesus is the name of Jesus means it's who he is. This man is healed because that's who Jesus is. And if that's the relationship we have today, sons and daughters of the living Be faithful in God's house. Serve the Lord, but not as a slave. Submit your life like a bond servant, but live your life like a son or a daughter. And that's a place that Jesus showed us how to live. And and I just want to say this this is the close. This is the final close. There's no close after this. If you ever want to know how to do it, all you've got to do is look at Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to be in me and in them like you and I are one. He said, the love that you loved me with, you've loved them with. If you can get a revelation that God loves you, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And you can believe that. He loves me to the same degree that he loved Jesus. You'll never be the same. Nor will anybody around you. So, fathers, I bless you today. In fact, we're going to pray a blessing over you. Mothers, thank you for being who you are. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, we've been called into family. And you've been called into the family business. And when you said Jesus is Lord, it's more than just saying I'll work for you. You were made part of his family. He is the father of all fathers, from whom all family gets its love, gets its name. So would you stand with me this morning and we're just, we're going to pray. We're going to bless the fathers in the room today because I know that God has um, put something big on your life. Some of your kids are grown. Some of your kids are still young, but either way, the house of the Lord needs fathers Canada needs fathers. The body of Christ needs fathers. We need fathers, we need mothers, we need sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. But family is God's idea. He shapes everything around it. I want to talk to you dads for a moment about just what we've said already. That in order for us to be good fathers... We need those places deep inside of our own hearts to be healed. You need to be able to let God address things. You know, you don't need to address every little moment of your life, but God knows what needs to be addressed. God knows what needs to be healed. God knows what needs to be made right. I remember one moment trying to teach my son. He was just a toddler and... I had this fear that he'd run into the road and I'd call him, Moses, come here. And he just wouldn't obey me and it would be dangerous. He could be hit by a car. I didn't want that to happen. So I wanted him to learn, come when I say come. He was just a little guy and I kept, I was in the room with him, just Moses, come, Moses, come. And he wasn't getting it. I was so frustrated because I wasn't frustrated because I didn't like him. I was frustrated because I didn't want him to run into the road and get hurt. I wanted it to save his life. Rather than trying to teach him out of love, I was teaching him out of fear. And Moses could sense my frustration, my raising of my voice. And it got to a point where after that, when I'd say, Moses, come here, he'd he'd act sort of afraid like he thought he was going to get in trouble. And that broke my heart. When your little son... Thinks he's in trouble when you say, come here. That's a sad thing for a dad. You want your kid to want to come to you, don't you? And I just thought, boy, I've messed this kid up. He's only been here for a couple years. I've already messed him up. <laughs> I already broke him. <laughs> First try, I broke him. <laughs> it was so beautiful is it didn't take long for that to heal. You, you correct the behavior, your own behavior. I corrected the way I related to him and spoke to him and tried to correct him. I corrected him. He did need to learn that lesson, but he didn't need to learn it from my place of fear. He needed to learn it from a place of love and patience, and he got it. Mm-hmm. Now, if he runs in the road, he comes back when we say, Moses, come back. Yeah. He's always been a kid. It's been very easy to parent him. He's, he's, a very, he's obedient. He's, he's brave. He's all those things, but... At the time, I was just like, I've messed this kid up. And it's amazing how God can fix what you've messed up. And dads, I want to tell you, you've not messed anything up so much, it can't be healed. It starts with saying, I'm going to do it differently now. Even if your kids are out of the house, I'm going to do it differently now. Lord, teach me how to be a good dad. Teach me how to be a father that you are. And if this is still your attitude, when the Lord says, come here, you go, I'm in trouble then I'd like you to let God heal that place in you as well.